late to the game. You know that feeling when you walk into a meeting that's already started and you're trying to catch up and wonder what business has been discussed? What important conversation did you miss out on? Maybe he felt like that. Or maybe it's when you walk in on a joke and someone's already told it and you laugh along like you get it, but you really don't. You know? Or, um, you know, maybe it's just because he's young and he's late. Uh, we don't know why what made him late. It could have been could have been that he was stuck in the fields with his workers, you know, trying to figure out what's going on with them. Maybe one of his kids had an issue. But in any case, he arrives late to the game and he sits down with Job and his three friends and he just listens. He, the youngest of all of them, just listens. He was taught by his mama well and he's just going to listen as his elders discuss the issue. And as they talk, he notices that all of the conversations seem to circle around three different issues, three different statements that keep getting brought up. And it seems clear that, that one of these statements is not like the others. One of these statements can't possibly be true, humanly speaking. And these are the three statements he notices. Statement number one, you reap what you sow. So many of these conversations go back to, if you sow wickedness, you're going to reap strife. If you sow righteousness, you're going to reap blessing. That's a basic principle for how the world works, statement number one. Statement number two is, God rules justly. God rules with justice. He rules perfectly. So a lot of these conversations he hears kind of relates to, is God doing what God is supposed to do? Statement number three goes like this. Job is innocent. Job is righteous. He doesn't deserve anything that's happened to him. And as these men are talking, it seems like they're thinking, one of these can't possibly be true. And for the three friends, they don't think Job is righteous. That's got to be the false statement here. Job can't possibly be as righteous as he's making himself out to be. Job, on the other hand, seems to think that the statement that is suspect is number two. That, that maybe God is not ruling as justly as he should. And he starts to question that. God, are you showing up late? What's going on? Why haven't you changed the course of my life here? You know, what, what's happening? And he hears them all discussing this, but he never actually hears the friends convict Job of anything. And, 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 he, and they don't, he doesn't hear Job prove finally that the friends are wrong. There seems to be a stalemate of sorts. And, and, and then it happens. Job finally seizes the opportunity and takes this oath of innocence. That's chapter 31. And Job basically says, God, if I've committed any of the following sins on this list, you can strike me down now. Kind of a last-ditch effort. God, will you show up? Will you do something? If I've done wrong, will you just kill me? And if, and if I haven't done wrong, will you, will you prove me right? And Job says it, and it's kind of like they all look around like, look, we've all heard people take oaths before, but nobody asked God to strike them down. We don't, we don't do it like that, you know? It's, Job's like, may, you know, may my, my, my body just become like a waste and, and just, just ruined. And Job has all of these colorful ways of cursing himself, right? And, and they're like, we never heard anything like this. And so everybody's silent. But the plane never landed. And it's like everybody's standing back waiting. You know, is God going to do it? Is he going to smite Job? 
Is it going to really happen? And finally, the young man can't take anymore. Late to the game, he's listened, he's listened, he's been respectful. He's had all these thoughts. He's rolled his eyes a few times, I'm sure. He's grunted a few times, but he never said anything. He's always been respectful. And then finally, kind of like maybe, like Popeye, it's like, that's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. And he unleashes his thoughts. Now, at the end of chapter 31, it says, the words of Job are ended. And you kind of get this feeling of, like, that's it. Discussion is over. It's closed. Is God going to show up or is he not? What's going to happen next? If you've never read Job, you'd get this feeling that we're done discussing this. You know, we're calling it to a close. And, and then you get this young guy that says, wait a minute. I got something to say. I have a few things on my mind. Hear me out. And he's angry when he does it. Now, scholars debate, like, what in the world do you do with Elihu and his, his abrupt entrance into this? And some say, well, whoever put the book of Job together didn't know what they were doing to stick Elihu in here, like, like where he comes in. Just when you're finishing the discussion. Like, you ever have that, maybe when you were little and, and kids made fun of you, you know what happened. And, uh, and, and, and when they made a joke about you, if you were like me, you weren't quick on the, on the comeback. Any of you like that? And so you would sit there and you would stew on what was said to you and that joke that was made. And like 10 minutes later, you'd be like, oh yeah, and you're, uh, you know, and then you had like the comeback. And then everybody like looks at you like, no, that's, sorry, that was, that was like, that was like last year we did that, you know? You're so late to the game on this. And, and I think that's, that's what some scholars feel is like Elihu, like, Where'd this guy come from? We didn't even know he was sitting there with all the friends. Like, he just kind of makes his grand entrance. And I'm mad, and you're going to listen. I've been respectful, and you old fogies couldn't get it done. So now listen to youth, you know? I mean, it kind of comes on, like, strong like that. We're going to read that in a second. Um, But I don't think this is an explosion of worthless words. Uh, this is not, a, this, I mean, it, it kind of feels like a rant sometimes because he goes on for chapter after chapter. He gets the longest speech in, in the whole book and it's uninterrupted. You know, no one, no one asks a question. No one says, now wait a minute, Elihu. It's just, you just listen to him and he just goes. But, but what he talks about is intelligent. It is spiritual. It is reasonable. It's not perfect. But it's, it's solid in many, many ways. Would you open your Bibles to Job chapter 32? <clears throat> it's before the Psalms, uh, so it's pretty easy to find that way. Psalms is kind of in the middle of your Bibles. Job chapter 32. And we're going to read all of 32 here. Uh, I'll start in the, at the end of uh, chapter 31. The words of Job are ended. Chapter 32. <clears throat> so these three men stopped answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. But Elihu, son of Barakel, the Buzite of the family of Ram, became very angry. Some, some translations say exceedingly angry. Some translations say he burned with anger. Uh, with Job for justifying himself rather than God. He was also angry with the three friends because they found no way to refute Job 
and yet had condemned him. Now Elihu had waited before speaking to Job because they were older than he. But when he saw that the three men had nothing more to say, his anger was aroused. Do you get the point? He's ticked off. So Elihu, son of Barakel the Buzite, said, I am young in years and you are old. Maybe you don't want to start that way when you're talking to grandma, you know. I, just, just suggesting. <clears throat> That's why I was fearful, not daring to tell you what I know. I thought age should speak. Advanced years should teach wisdom. But it's the spirit in a person, the breath of the Almighty, that gives them understanding. It is not only the old that are wise, not only the aged who understand what is right. Therefore, I say, listen to me, I too will tell you what I know. I waited while you spoke. I listened to your reasoning while you were searching for words. I gave you my full attention, but not one of you has proved Job wrong. None of you has answered his arguments. Do not say, we have found wisdom. Let God, not man, refute him. But Job has not marshaled his words against me. I will not answer him with your arguments. They are dismayed and have no more to say. Words have failed them. Must I wait now that they're silent? Now that they stand there with no reply? I too will have my say. I too will tell what I know. For I am full of words and the spirit within me compels me. Inside I'm like a bottled up wine, like new wineskins ready to burst. I must speak and find relief. I must open my lips and reply. I will not show partiality, nor will I flatter anyone. For if I were skilled in flattery, my maker would soon take me away. But now, Job, listen to my words. Pay attention to everything I say. All right. Elihu. What does Elihu talk about before I get into like what we'll discuss here? So um, if you notice in 32, Elihu makes a big deal saying, look, guys, I know I'm the youngest here. I get it. And I've been very quiet and respectful. But listen, you guys all had your chance to, to, to deal with Job. And, and, and Job is justifying himself rather than justifying God. And so now you need to listen to me. And then for the next few chapters, he goes on. And he does talk to Job. He talks to Job. And some of the things he says to Job are, are like this. He says things like, um, Job, you always say God is silent. This is uh, chapter 33, by the way. He says things like, God, Job, you always say God is silent, but let me tell you something. Do you know that God can speak to you in dreams and in difficulties and trials? Like, did you know that, Job? Like, like when, you, when you have dreams at night, God can speak to you there. It's not like this demand for God to show himself, you know? And when he speaks in dreams and difficulties, he does it to turn you towards good and away from evil. He does it if, like, if you're prideful, he might speak to you in a dream about it. He might, he might do something difficult in your life to turn you from being arrogant. So he has a lot to say to Job, but then eventually he gets to this point of talking about God. And he says things like this. He refers to Job's oath of innocence that he took, as we looked at two weeks ago. And he says, uh, Job, you took this oath that you're, that you're righteous before God. And you're trying to get God to act. He says, Job, did you know that your righteousness is not a gift to God? And your wickedness doesn't take anything away from him? You can't coerce God to act. You can't make him do anything. He is God. And Job, if you think that your justice is that the way you think of justice is better than God's, how dare you? 
You are mistaken, sir. Your justice is nowhere near the incredible vastness of God's justice. This is Elihu. And then the last part of Elihu's speech, he just starts praising how great God is, how big God is, how well God rules the world. This is Elihu. I like a lot of things Elihu says. But I'll tell, you, I'll tell you one thing that I appreciate about Elihu and one thing that I question about him. Okay, you ready? Um, I appreciate Elihu because it says in, this, in, in chapter 32 that we just read that Elihu is not happy, this is verse 2, because Job was justifying himself rather than God. So Job is saying, God if it was up to me, I would rule like this, if it was on me. And we have to be really, really careful if you think you could do a better job ruling the world than God could. They made a movie about that once, a comedy, where, where a guy, you know, thought he could do better than God. You know, it doesn't work. It just does not work. So I appreciate that about Elihu, because I feel like he brings this perspective we need to hear. What I don't appreciate what I don't appreciate is like, I'll give you an example in chapter 34. Um, let's see. Uh, Elihu says, hear my words, you wise men. Listen to me, you men of learning. For the ear tests words, the tongue tastes food. Let us discern for ourselves what is right. Let us learn to get, lean together what is good. I'm sorry, I wanted 35. Jump down to 35, chapter 35. Uh, Elihu says, Do you think this is just? You say, I am in the right, not God, yet you ask of him, What profit is it for me, and what do I gain by not sinning? So in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 35, um, it seems that Elihu is questioning Job's motives. Like, Job, you're in it to get your stuff back. What does it profit me to follow God. Now, throughout the whole book of Job, what is one thing I've always said, maybe almost every week, I've said this about Job, he never asked for his stuff back. We spent a whole sermon talking about that. I think Elihu's got it wrong on that count. I think he puts motives onto Job that are not there. I'm selfish and I want my stuff back. Job never says that. Elihu assumes it. So on the one hand, I agree with Elihu because I do think Job is more self-centered than God-centered. I think there's a nice little correction there that, Job, you're justifying yourself instead of God. You seem to think you could do better than God could do. I think that's a nice correction there. But I don't think Elihu's got Job's motives right. Now, saying all that, and if you ever read, if you ever read the end of Elihu's speech, like in 30, uh, you know, 37, it's amazing. I mean, he says really amazing things about God. In 36, he talks about how God controls the weather for whatever God wants to do. Whatever God wants to do with the weather, he can do. It's pretty amazing Elihu's big view of God. But let me transition a little bit. What do I want to say about Elihu? I want to say this. I believe Elihu is a young man who wants to speak well about God and speak into the issues at hand. And so I would like this morning to address those of you that are young adults, young in heart, 
would consider yourselves on the young end of the scale, whatever that is, 20s, 30s, heck, we'll throw the 40s in too. How about that, okay? Um, whatever you want. Um, but, but I want to address those of you that feel young and what do I have to offer the church. I want to address you this morning. I'll let those that are older listen in, okay? We won't dismiss you yet, all right? Um, but I want to give you two affirmations, you that are, would throw yourself in the category of young. By the way, we were talking at, the, at a board retreat recently, and we were noting that, you ever notice how when people talk about millennials, it's always negative? Do you do that? Because you shouldn't. It's almost like you've got to retire the word millennial because I keep reading articles that just always say negative things. Far be it from us as a church to talk like that. So anyway, I've got two things. I was going to say for millennials, but that, that's not really accurate. I just want to say young adults, people that feel like they're on the younger end of the scale, wherever you lie. Teenagers, yes, I mean you too. Let me tell you a couple things. I think I can base out of Elihu's talk, Okay. Um, I, I'm not having, I'm not putting notes up today, so you're going to have to scratch it all out if you want to take some notes. We had a little note issue in the back today, so um, so just listen or write it down. I'm, I'll repeat it a couple times. Number one, two affirmations for the for the young adults, for the youth. Two affirmations. Number one, you have the Spirit of God and the Word of God. You have the Spirit of God. And the word of God. You may say, no kidding. Why do you say that to me? What do you care? Well, if I'm reading Job 32 right, he says, Job 32, verse 7, Elihu says, I thought age should speak, advanced years should teach wisdom. But it's the spirit in a person, the breath of the Almighty, that gives them understanding. Isn't it the spirit of God that helps you make wise decisions? And isn't it the word of God that is the basis of your wisdom? Isn't that where we go with this? And doesn't that mean that every single person that has the spirit of God and the word of God has access to the wisdom of God? Isn't that true? So what I'm saying, my affirmation for you that are young, is that we need to hear your voice too. You have the same resources as everybody else in the church. The Spirit of God and the Word of God. Um, and I can tell, and I'm not saying this in a prideful way, but I can tell when I talk to a, a younger person and they, I can tell when they've been in the Word. I can tell when they share their thoughts about what's going on in our culture and whether they're thinking biblically or they're thinking according to worldly wisdom. You can just tell. So use the Word. Stay in the Word. Let that you know, envelope your mind so that you can think godly thoughts. So you have something to add to the conversation of what's wrong in the world. What can the church do about it? What are we here to get done? You have the same resources as everybody else. Um, sometimes uh, I once heard a, a, a famous youth speaker say that Jesus changed the world with his youth group. You ever heard that? His youth group. Referring to the 12 apostles, right? Um, and I tell you what, in youth ministry, I did have a few Judases, you know, uh, I'll tell you that. But um, in any case, uh, I, I love that. I love that statement. Is it true that Jesus changed the world with a bunch of teenagers? 
I've heard that statement made. I don't know that I would go that far and speak definitively, but consider a couple things about Jesus. How old is he when he starts ministry? Probably about 30. So he's probably picking disciples that are younger than him, as is the tradition. Think about this. When you're a young person, you go through your religious education, and by 12 or 13, you're finishing your education, and now you're going into the workforce. You're becoming the fisherman, the carpenter, the, 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 the merchant, whatever else you've got in front of you. You step into those roles, you know, around 14. Or you follow a rabbi at 14. You can continue on into the grad school of things, and you follow a rabbi. If the famous rabbi, even better. And by the age of 30 then, usually, you, you graduate on. You, you kind of finish following your rabbi. But that, that was very, very typical. So I think we can say, most likely, that, that Jesus is calling people out of the workforce. So they've got to be 14 or older. They're probably younger than Jesus. At one point, he calls them little children. Remember that? So I think we could probably say between 14 and 30 years old is where we can land. That's probably more accurate. But they could, have been, they could have been teenagers. And Jesus is changing the world with the young. I think of uh, Jeremiah 1 when God calls Jeremiah to speak. And Jeremiah says, I can't talk, I'm just a youth. And God says, don't say you're a youth. Don't say that. So I say to young people, you have the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Number two, I would say this to you. You have a fresh perspective that the church needs to hear. You have a fresh perspective that the church needs to hear. Um. Elihu comes in on chapter 32, and I do think, like I said before, that he has some points to make about Job, about Job justifying himself. I do think he brings a freshness to the conversation. And it's not that everything he says is right, it's just that we need to hear him out for what he does say. And I think the same for young adults. We ought to hear them out and listen to what they have to say. Um, When the board uh, did our vision retreat, a few weeks ago, a month ago now, um, we invited some young people, some young adults to be part of that. Because I think it's important for us as a church to hear fresh perspectives. You're holding an ancient book and you're looking at our culture, our church, our life and saying, how do these two things meet? What does the Bible say about our culture? What should we be doing now? What's going on? And so as we continue to cast vision I'm listening to the voice of the mature and the old, and I'm listening to the voice of the young. And I believe that's biblical to hear those voices because they all have the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Now, I also want to give you a couple encouragements. Those are my affirmations for you. My affirmations are, you've got the Word of God and Spirit of God, and number two, you have a fresh perspective, just like Elihu brought this this freshness into the conversation so you bring that as well. But I have two encouragements for you as well. And, and by encouragements, I mean like admonitions. I mean like these are things I would think about as you consider your own walk and what you're doing in the church. Number one, 
your understanding of God and the world is still developing, just like everybody else. Your understanding of God and the world is still developing, just like all of us. And anyone in the older category, you're still working that through. And so, with Elihu, I love the guy, but, um, you know, maybe when you read him, verse 18, I am full of words, the spirit within compels me. You know, I, I have to talk. Later, um, he says things like, uh, one who is perfect in knowledge is with you. I'm seeing if I can find that. I didn't mark it. Um, let's see. I don't think I'm going to find it at the moment. But he basically says, you know, one who has perfect knowledge is now with you and is going to share what he thinks. And it's like, no, Elihu, that's not true. You don't, you are not perfect in knowledge. Age doesn't make you perfect in knowledge. Only as we heard in the kids' sermon, if you grow, even as you grow in stature, you grow in wisdom. But you know what? I know a lot of older folks that seem to have stopped growing in wisdom as well. I mean, it's a problem for all of us, right? But, but the challenge is, I'm not going to stop growing. I'm going to keep going, and I'm going to realize I don't know it all. And that takes humility. I, I see humility when Elihu says, I was humble and I was quiet. And I respected my elders that way. Was he humble when he burst forth in anger? I don't know. He would say he was full of the spirit and angry. That may be true. And maybe we need to hear the angry voices at well where we've missed the mark as, as a church. But in any case, I think the demand is for humility here. And at least the one comment of Elihu that really, really poked me the wrong way was, um, one who is perfect in knowledge is with you. He says that. I'm like, no, don't think so. You know, God hasn't shown up yet. Uh, it's not you. You're still growing. So I have that humility there. And then secondly and finally, I'd say this. Um, my second encouragement is this. Uh, young adults, you will grow through listening to the voices of mature, godly believers. And, and I know Job's three friends were not great models of mature, godly believers. Okay, I, I get that. But I do believe you have a lot of people in this church that are mature, godly believers because they speak into my life as well, and I seek them out. Listen, I know, I know if you want an answer for one of your lot, many questions, you can Google it. I know that you do. I know that there's Christian websites called Got Questions, you know, and, and I even Google them sometimes and see what they've got to say on a particular issue, right? You can listen to famous pastors online giving incredible sermons that will nourish your spirit and help you learn the Word of God. But you know what nothing on the Internet can do for you is face-to-face Believer to believer, talking about your life in particular. You can't Google an answer to your life issue. You can hear what other people have done. You can even read a biography of what someone has done. But, but that life on life, mature believer to younger believer, that's only something you can get in the church. You cannot Google it. So I would encourage you, 
you that are young adults, I hope that you're like me. I have benefited immensely from older voices speaking into my life, shaping the way I think, changing me for the better. And I'm not going to stop doing that. And I thought about it this week, and I thought, I think I've had those people in my life since I first started going to Sunday school. You know, you start in Sunday school and you got this adult teacher. I want that a stuttering Sunday school teacher. He was great. He was so great. <laughs> anyway, uh, from Sunday school up through high school, through college, beyond college, I've always had, by choice or not, older Christians speaking into my life. So I guess the question for you is, when you graduated Sunday school, did you graduate from having a life-on-life relationship with someone older? Because if you did, that's a mistake. And you need those people, like I need those people. Because I never assume I can do this by myself. And Google's not my answer. Quote me. (laughs) So um, at the end of the sermon, I know we're finishing up here, and then we're going to do a really cool commissioning time at the end here. But let me just say this in conclusion on Elihu. Um, You that are older, wiser, more mature, would you be a voice into the lives of young adults? Would you be an encourager, even as I have done today, to say to them, we need to hear your voice. We need to hear what you're thinking. We need to know who you are and what you think about, your perspective. And no, we know not everything's going to be perfect. It's not going to be 100% on all the time. But you have a word for the church, and we're here to listen. And then I hope that the young people can say, I'm here to listen to the older. I'm here to listen to the mature, because they have wisdom and life experiences that I need. And I can't get it from a screen, but I can get it from sitting across the table from someone who loves me, and I want to let myself be known to them. Um, let me close with Ephesians 4 then we'll be done I just thought of this as I was worshiping today that Ephesians 4 is a really great way to finish this off let's see Ephesians 4.14 Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You that are in the older category on the spectrum, you've got work to do here. And I've talked about some of what it looks like this morning. You that are younger here, you've got work to do in this body. Because we can't do it without any of you. We can't grow this church without any of you. And ultimately, we can't see the church grow and more uh, disciples made without Christ, the head. Let's keep leaning into him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for uh, giving us this interesting character in Elihu who, uh, who has a lot, of, a lot of insights, brings some new things to the table. 
I pray that we would be a church that affirms the young, that welcomes them fully in, that we would do better and better at that. I pray for those that are older, that they would be the spiritual parents to the young, to take their role as a mature, godly adult that can do life-on-life ministry and relationship. Would we all grow up underneath the headship of Jesus Christ as you, Lord Jesus, cause us to grow? In your name I pray. Amen.